eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, I did an episode Sunday kind of breaking down my thoughts from the game. So we've talked about the USF game quite a bit. Obviously, there's a ton to talk about this week with Alabama coming to town, the number one team in the country. Only the second time that Nick Saban has brought his Alabama team into the swamp. And obviously, Florida in year four under Dan Mullen is in a place where the program seems ready to potentially take the next step. Now, I think there's a lot of fans that would tell you that next step may not be in week three against Alabama, it may be further down the road against a Georgia or maybe even a rematch against Alabama in the SEC title game. But what I want to do with today's episode is really take a look at where Florida is at now in year four under Dan Mullen and then talk about the importance of this game. And we can debate what that is, whether or not it's a game that could potentially push Florida to the next level or set Florida back. Um, I have thoughts, you know, on both of those scenarios, depending on how the game plays out. But I wanted to get your take. In year four, obviously there's some narratives out there with the fans. And we cover, you know, the Gators for a recruiting-centric site. That's kind of our bread and butter. So I know that we tend to look at Florida through the veil of recruiting in a lot of ways. And I think it's fair to say, Blake, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the hardcore recruiting fans have question marks about where the program's headed under Dan Mullen based on how Florida's recruiting right now. Basically, long and short, is Florida recruiting well enough to eventually be able to consistently compete with the Alabamas, with the Georgias? Um, I'm not going to throw LSU in that mix anymore because they look pretty bad. Um, but I think so, so there's this there's this underlying dynamic with Florida where it seems almost everybody agrees Dan Mullen's a really good game day coach. Dan Mullen is an excellent developer of quarterbacks, but also most people agree Dan Mullen's not a great recruiter. And I think the real question mark comes, where is that kind of line? Um, you know, where does the tug of war finish there between that recruiting and that really good game day coaching, that really good ability to develop quarterbacks and develop really all players, I think. Where do you stand on that in year four? Like, where is this program for you? Obviously, Dan Mullen's elevated it. But to what degree, you know, has what Dan Mullen has done, I guess, kind of, uh, you know, has he done stuff that nobody else could do at Florida? I guess uh, let me just open it up to you. I'm not even going to angle it in a specific specific way. But where do you see this program right now being in year four? I see it on the upward climb. You know, I, I don't know that I would say they've recruited good. 
Um, I don't know that recruiting good is good enough in the SEC. I think that's a league where you need to recruit great, you know, especially whenever you're going against the, you know, the Georgias, the Alabamas, you know, those types of teams, you know, that have recruited really well. Um, you know, I think you look at even Texas A&M this year, they've been recruiting extremely well. Um, so I think it's going to be one of those programs to where it's going to hinge on development. You know, I think they're going to get a lot of great players or get, you know, some, some high, you know, recruit, you know, guys that, you know, they, they won it, went out and battled big boys and, you know, they landed them. I think they'll get plenty of those. I don't think you're going to see them in bunches, you know, like maybe the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Clemsons and all these other types of schools. But I really think that when you look at the guys that, you know, from a development standpoint, I think one of the biggest things to where you can put your trajectory of your program is at the quarterback position. And I think that's what Dan Mullen obviously does a really good job at. I think that they need to continue to land some of those higher guys. You know, I think that, you know, recruiting in the state of Florida, a lot of these guys in the state of Florida have been leaving, you know, to those schools that we've mentioned a billion times that, you know, come in into the state of Florida and pluck those guys. I think that you have a lot of these battles that Florida's not winning. They need to win more of those battles. That's not what I'm saying. But I think they've done a good enough job and they develop enough to where they can, can compete. Is that going to be on a consistent basis? I don't know. Are they going to have teams that are really, really good and some where you kind of take a step back? I think that it's just it, it's too up and down is where I think I see things going. Granted, Dan Mullen's coached a lot. You know, he's 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 elevated the program. Like we've said, he's coaching. Well, that's going to win a lot more games and it's going to lose games. You know, whenever you have that X's and O's types of guys. But I think you can take that next step by getting those five star players, those high top 100 type of players and develop those guys. I think they have a really good eye for talent. You know, some of those guys that are dimes in the diamonds in the rough type of guys. I think that they see certain things and they've been in the league a long time to know that they can get what they can get out of those guys. They know to recruit to their program that fit what they're going to do. So I think you're going to see them do a lot more with less, but I think that fans want to see them continue to land more of those types of players. So I guess what I'm saying, the tra trajectory of the program, I think it's going to be up and down. You know, I think this year it has a chance to be one of those down years compared to last year where Florida had a lot of these first round, you know, high talent guys, but it all hinges to me on the quarterback. So I think whenever you look at the future with a guy like Anthony Richardson, who is the future of Florida, I think it's very bright. I think if you can continue to showcase him, you know, kind of recruit guys around him and continue to, you know, elevate certain spots in the roster. I think that's great. And I think Florida will be a lot better in that sense. But I also think when you throw in the wild card of the, of the transfer portal, it's something that really has helped Florida a lot. When you look at some of these star players that they've gotten out of the transfer portal, that's where I think their bread and butter is. And that's where I think that you can kind of overcompensate from recruiting good and you can mix in some of those transfer portal guys. And I think it kind of equals itself out. I want to talk about Anthony Richardson in particular, because, you know, obviously I haven't had a chance to get your thoughts yet from Saturday on him. And I, I want to talk about that, but I, I want to hold off on that until the second half of the show, because I want to kind of, have our opinions on where the program's at pretty fleshed out by the time we talk about how we would kind of handle the quarterback position going forward. <laughs> Let me go back to one thing you said. I, I think it stands out. Florida is going to do more with less under Dan Mullen. I think that's absolutely true. I think you look at the program that Dan Mullen inherited. He takes over a four and seven team with a quarterback that obviously was struggling in Felipe Franks. And it took him a long time to really build up Felipe Franks you know, into a quarterback where he could kind of rely on and, and really win games with. I mean, for all intents and purposes in 2018, it really didn't happen until the South Carolina game, which I believe was like the fourth to last game of the season. So I think that, you know, going from four and seven to a 10 win team in your first year, that's obviously 
a clear indicator that Dan Mullen can do more with less. I don't think there's anybody that really disputes that, right? Um, I, I kind of now am like, okay, so we've had we had your one. You had the you know the quarterback with the broken confidence in Felipe Franks that you had to fix. Dan Mullen did that. You transition, not quite the way you want in year two, but Kyle Trask ends up taking over. You end up having a lot of really, really good skill players. Billy Gonzalez, I think, probably doesn't get enough credit for how much work he did with a group of guys that, by and large, Jim McElwain had as younger players that didn't really contribute a whole lot. Right. Um, so I, I think the development standpoint, I think everybody's on board with that. It's very clear. I think the question for me if you're looking at Florida from a historical standpoint, what Steve Spurrier did, what Urban Meyer did, kind of, you know, that elevation of the program over that 20, 30 year period to where we are now, Florida shouldn't have to do more with less. And I think that's kind of where it's hard for me to be fully 100% both feet in the door with Dan Mullen. Um, because I do think they need to recruit better. Ultimately, like you said, they, they're going to be up and down. They'll have years where they can, you know, do what they did last year, potentially be on the doorstep of a college football playoff <laughs> when they have elite talent, when they have a great game breaking quarterback or, you know, those, those, those types of guys that they're going to have to develop, you know, it's, it's, exactly. it's very much a developmental program. So my question is, how can you get, now, I, I guess kind of the next step for the program for me is what I'm, what I'm trying to say is the next step is consistently being on that stage, right? Consistently being in that zone where Florida was last year for the majority of the regular season where they're widely considered a playoff contender. And it's going to boil down to one or two big games who comes out ahead in those. For Florida last year, theoretically, I mean, if you remember last offseason, we talked so much about the direction of the program, the trajectory of the program. And we said, Blake, both you and I, that Georgia game was going to be huge because part of the narrative around Florida football and, you know, I mean, college sports is what it is. We, we live on narratives, right? That's, that's right or wrong, whether or not one game ties into the bigger picture of a narrative, it probably shouldn't as much as we try to make those ties. But the reality is in recruiting, those narratives are by and large what drives momentum, what drives kind of upward trajectory. You know, if, if you can have a, a game like this weekend, like Alabama, where you have a ton of big name recruits in town and you subvert the expectations, you, you kind of surpass them or exceed them or, you know, you blow it up and, and Florida gets, you know, destroyed this weekend. Either way, that has an effect on the narrative of the program. Right. And so last year, the narrative was. If you had lost to Georgia, I think it really would have cemented recruiting as kind of the winner in that tug of war between can you coach guys up enough to win championships at Florida versus are you recruiting at a high enough level? Had Florida lost that game, right? But Florida goes out and beats Georgia. And I think that pendulum shifts kind of the other way where you're like, okay, Dan Mullen is good enough to coach against, you know, a, a, a more talented team. And again, caveats, let's throw some caveats in there. Georgia's quarterback play was terrible last year. It was before they had gone to JT Daniels. Um, who knows, you know, whether or not that plays out this year. But bottom line, Florida got the job done and kind of started to shift the narrative in its favor. Problem comes, again, LSU game. You come to the LSU game, Florida loses the game and had no business losing. And, you know, whether or not that's strictly a focus issue, just a completely one-off type issue where, hey, maybe it was a fluke, maybe it was a complete outlier, whatever that may be in the long run, in the immediate term, it kind of shifted the narrative back to that 50-50, you know, between the recruiting, between is Florida ready to turn the corner? And then, 
you, you come out the next week and you play Alabama really close. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know what to make of the game this weekend. I honestly don't right now. Um, it Based on what we've seen the first two games of the season, I, I'm kind of expecting Florida to lose handily. Now, I think the two touchdown spread, I think that's about right. Um, but having said that, it also wouldn't surprise me at all to see Florida come out and be really good in this game and be competitive and have Dan Mullen show things that we didn't see in the first two weeks, really kind of catch Alabama off guard. And again, we'll, we'll go back to the quarterback situation later, but I do think you have the potential at quarterback to really have a game-changing guy such that that talent question starts to fade again a little bit because you have a quarterback, in my opinion, in Anthony Richardson, that at least has the potential, has the ceiling to cover up a lot of those other issues. I guess, Blake, what I'm getting at is Ultimately, this Alabama game, I think, is not going to mean a ton in the big picture for the 2021 season. In other words, if Florida loses this game, no big deal. They can still play Alabama again in Atlanta. doesn't make a huge difference. If you go out and beat Georgia, it's still the same thing. I think, you know, the potential comes in where if you do somehow do what I think right now is kind of considered the unthinkable, maybe not unthinkable, but at least improbable, and you upset Alabama, how much, Blake, would that change the narrative around the program and potentially the trajectory of the program? And I guess let me ask you, wouldn't a win against Alabama with a bunch of recruits in town make you feel a lot better about how Florida is going to recruit going forward? Or would it not really change your opinion that much? I don't know that it really changed my opinion. You know, I think that a lot of these kids don't put their decisions off of wins and losses. I think that if you do win, you know, obviously – the atmosphere will be electric. You know, Florida will have a lot of things that they can sell to these guys. I think that it'll make a lot of waves. I don't know that in the long run, it really changes things because you still have to close things out. You know, closing has been kind of the Achilles heel for, you know, this, this coaching staff when it comes to recruiting. Very fair. But I do think that it does create excitement. I think recruiting is very much how much buzz you can create. And I think you mentioned that earlier. And I, I think it's very much a perception type of deal. And I think that that's going to, you know, if you win those types of games, that's going to get guys talking. You know, you can, it, when you win those kinds of games, even guys that, you know, committed elsewhere, you know, guys that you were targeting on early that, you know, were committed sometime in June or in the spring or what, whatever they did, those kind of guys, they give you a second look like, oh, wow, look, Florida did this. You know, I should go look into them more. So I think it creates buzz. I, I, I'm not saying that it's not going to do anything because obviously it's going to get guys talking. It's going to get kids that maybe weren't giving you a look before that were watching the game. You know, Hey, I want to go check out Florida. So it's going to do some positives, but I think in the long run, it's not going to change my opinion of the recruiting because you still have to close these guys out. You know, if you don't land a guy, catch a guy with some visit high that commits on your visit, goes out and continues to take more visits and, you know, continues to talk with coaches. You still have to close things out. You know, if a guy's going to take his decision out later, I don't know that that's really going to change my opinion of things, but I do think it's going to create buzz. And I think it's going to give, you know, kind of the, the coaching staff a little bit of a feather in their hat, if you will, to, you know, pitch these guys, to have something new to talk about to these guys say, look, we did this. We did the unthinkable. We took down the number one team, you know, Alabama beats everybody, blah, blah, blah. There's so many different pitches you can make from that. Right. But in the long run, I don't know that it really changed my opinion, but I definitely think it's going to create a lot of positives if that did happen. All right. Let me, let me approach it this way then. Dan Mullins in year four, right? That's, that's fairly well into his tenure. I don't think anybody thinks he's on the hot seat right now. I mean, no. that, that's, that's ludicrous. Look at the number of games he's won at Florida. He's not on the hot seat. That said, a lot of people do like to evaluate kind of the forward picture, right? Let me, let me pose it to you this way. If Florida comes out and, and 
we'll say meets expectations. We'll say the spread's right. Florida loses by two touchdowns. Maybe competitive at certain points, but it's a lot like last year's game where, for the most part, Alabama led the SEC title game for two touchdowns throughout. It ended up being a six-point game, but, but for the most part, it never really felt like Florida was a threat to Alabama. Where, where does the program land at that point in terms of trajectory and, and more specifically how the fans react to where Florida's at? Because at a certain point, the deeper into a coach's tenure you get, and again, I don't think Dan Mullen's on the hot seat. He's got an athletic director who hired him, who worked with him at Mississippi State. I don't think he's on the hot seat. So I'm not, not asking for hot seat talk. But if Florida just meets expectations in this game, how much pressure does it add from the fan base? And, and what's kind of the angle for that pressure? Is it that we have to recruit better? Is it that, you know, Dan Mullen needs to be more aggressive making staff changes? Like, where, where do you think the fan base settles out if this game goes to expectation? And Florida loses by about two touchdowns. I think it's just recruiting better. You know, I mean, again, it's Alabama. You know, I mean, they it's kind of hard to really pin them on. You know, if they lose to, you know, the LSU game last year, I think is where you really create that kind of talking point. But, you know, with Alabama, you know, I think it's going to be that they need to recruit better. You know, I think if it's competitive and, you know, all these kind of things. I mean, I think for the most part, we all know that these coaches and Florida staff have done a good job developing guys. You know, they're they're really good coaches. So I don't know that it's really a coaching thing. Um, I, I think the the narrative from the fan base, if they did lose and, you know, met expectations and didn't get blown out, it's just that they need to continue to recruit better. You know, you're not going to beat the types of Bama's, you know, those types of teams that, you know, are three deep with, you know, high four star, five star types of players, you know, to beat those kind of guys. I think that the, the, the narrative would be that you need to recruit better players to compete with those types of guys. Is there any skies falling scenario? Based on this Alabama game, like no matter how it goes, is, <laughs> well, I mean, the fan base, where... you never know, man. Like, you know, I, I think you're going to have some of those guys that will be skies falling, you know, but I think for the most part, I, I don't think so, but I'm sure you'll have some of those types though, for sure. I mean, that's, that's part of a fan base. Okay. Well, we'll take a quick break because I, I'm going somewhere with that. And I think the quarterback situation is going to play into a lot of how not only this game is viewed, but how the rest of the season is viewed and kind of, again, I think the quarterback situation has the potential to keep the program's narrative, the trajectory in a very positive place, depending on how that plays out. And I'll talk a little bit more on the other side of this break about exactly what I mean. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, we were talking about long-term expectations, trajectory for the program, perception versus reality. 
to be honest with you, a lot of the perception of where Florida is at as a program is ultimately going to hinge on where things are going. Right. And we've talked a lot about recruiting being, I think, good. You said good. I would say probably adequate for for Florida standards. I think it could certainly be better. And, and, and I will say, look, not only did Dan Mullen create more with less when he took over the program in 2018, but he also he recruited well enough that the bottom of the roster, I think, really short up. The depth of the overall roster is a lot better than right. it was. I would agree Jim with McElwain. that. Um, so I, I don't mean to sound like, you know, the recruiting is is so bad that it's the worst Florida. Like, it's that's not the case. OK, Dan Mullen has recruited well. The issue, I think, when we're talking about recruiting, to be very specific so we don't get this unclear, is really, Blake, those top. 100 types, particularly in the state of Florida. We're talking two to three guys a cycle, in my opinion. The borderline five stars, the five Even the guys that Florida spends a lot of time on, you know, putting in effort. There's just been so many times where Florida goes out and offers a guy early, recruits him really hard. You know, Florida's my leader, blah, 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 this, and they end up somewhere else. Those are the types of battles that Florida needs to continue to win. In-state, out-of-state, in their bread-and-butter areas, those types of battles. Exactly. And so, anyway, so I think, you know, you look at what Dan Mullen's done. I, I think the... I guess the danger for me is that if you come out and you lose this Alabama game to expectations or, or God forbid worse, it's going to kind of continue this idea that Florida's talent needs to be a little bit better than it is now. And I don't think that's a wrong ideal at all. However, one thing that can really change that outlook is if you have a program changing quarterback, it's only been two games for Emory Jones, Blake, but I think at this point, based on the quality of those opponents, and what we've seen out of Emory Jones in terms of the actual struggles he's having, I'm ready to say right now that I don't think Emory Jones is a program-changing quarterback, a quarterback that can make up the difference in talent, a la a guy like Cam Newton did. If you look back at that 2010 Auburn team, almost no defensive talent went to the NFL. I mean, Nick Fairley, I think, is one of the only guys that if, if memory serves, if memory serves, I think he's the only guy that even got drafted off that defense. So you're talking about that kind of elevation and and maybe florida doesn't need quite that much you know i think the league is a little bit tougher than than it was in 2010 but i don't see emory jones as that guy and i think the reason as i've stated on a couple podcasts now i think the processing is just too slow i think he knows on an x's nose whiteboard he can show dan mullen exactly what's going on what he was thinking what was looking at but at the end of the day the ball just does not come out quick enough and i think when you're seeing that kind of problem against the likes of FAU and USF, that's an issue. Now, I, have, uh, I know um, somebody else on, on the Florida beat kind of made the statement that, uh, you know, through Florida's first two games, what Florida showed on offense is really only a JV offense, right? And they haven't broken out, so to speak, the varsity offense. In other words, Florida was playing very vanilla, right, the first two weeks. And I think we all agree that Florida has not shown all its cards. However, if Emory Jones is struggling with the JV offense, my question is how in the world is he going to manage the varsity offense when you're also playing against a much, much more talented team in Alabama, you know, an LSU, a Georgia? That for me. So, so the crux of the issue to me is I don't think Emory Jones is the guy. I don't know that Anthony Richardson is either, but he definitely has the potential to be that guy. But let's talk about it, Blake. Let's talk about the quarterback situation. There's two, there's two trains of thought for me here. The first is, obviously, let's talk about Anthony Richardson's hamstring. From what I've been able to gather behind the scenes from speaking to sources, I don't think the injury is very serious. I think it was a very mild strain. Um, Anthony Richardson got an MRI. The results came back, no tear. So I, I don't think 
this is a situation that's really going to keep him out. And I think if Florida wanted to play him against Alabama, they could pretty much play him the same way they did against FAU and USF. That's basically what I've been told. So knowing that, Blake, there's two trains of thought, right? There's the train of thought where it says, okay, it's clear Emory Jones has these issues, isn't going to be the guy. We, we were not going to beat Alabama with Emory Jones. So let's try Anthony Richardson. There's the other train of thought that says, okay, it's entirely possible that Anthony Richardson has been awesome. And also it can be true that he doesn't know how to check the full offensive line of scrimmage is missing things here and there, like Dan Mullen is saying, and that could still also be an upgrade over Emory Jones. The question is what kind of long-term impact would playing Anthony Richardson heavily in this Alabama game, maybe even starting him have on his confidence and his future trajectory. And Blake, I think you can make the case. I, I don't know what the right answer is in terms of how they split that rep at quarter, how they split the reps at quarterback how you approach Anthony Richardson. But I think those are the two trains of thought. And I think how Florida handles it, how Dan Mullen handles it this week, and especially next week going forward after Alabama, is really going to impact the way a lot of fans think about the direction of the program going forward. Am I right on that? Just in terms of, you know, if it seems clear that there's a shift to Anthony Richardson, I think all of a sudden a lot of the pressure – from the fans that we're talking about can dissipate a little bit where you can almost give yourself that extra layer of patience from the fan base. If you're Dan Mullen, if it's clear you're transitioning to Anthony Richardson, am I wrong? I don't think you are. So how would you handle this if you're Dan Mullen? And again, we're going to work on the assumption that my sources are right, that, you know, the, the hamstring injury is, is only a minor deal for Anthony Richardson. How do you approach this game if you're Dan Mullen? You know, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision because it really is a right. it's a, it's a position to where you're playing a guy that knows more of the offense. It's like, you know, you, you study for a test and you, you can get all the questions right when you know you're studying and looking at, you know, your flashcards or whatever. But whenever it comes time to take the test, you don't do as good. You struggle, you don't, you know, you don't perform well under the lights. You have that type of situation which is an Emory Jones type. No, could you know sit there and drop what he did wrong on the, on the whiteboard with coach Mullen, you know, run through all these things, you can get more of the playbook with him but he just doesn't perform well whenever the lights are on. At least doesn't seem to translate it as well when the lights are on. Or you've got a guy in Anthony Richardson whose ceiling is definitely higher. You know, you you can make those types of backyard football plays if he's missing checkdowns or he's, you know, he's he's missing things where he doesn't know the part of the offense. But whenever he improvs, you know, he can make something spectacular happen. In my opinion, I think that you should start to transition Anthony Richardson. I think the offense runs crisper with him. He seems more confident, you know, even from footwork, shuffling things. It's dangerous playing backyard football against a team like Alabama if Anthony Richardson really is doing you know, his own improv on certain things and missing these kinds of calls. I think in the long term, you know, just going forward, whether this season or even in the future, I think Anthony Richardson, it's clear that you know, you, you, he, he's the future. You know, it's clear that he's going to be the guy um, that you know, they've, they think of the world of him, you know, all these types of things. He just has that more of a wow just play in his game. So I, I think that I think that you should start to transition more to him. Could you destroy his confidence if he comes out and doesn't perform well against an Alabama and that could hurt him in the future? Absolutely. So that's why it's really hard. And I understand what you say to where I don't know that there's really a right or a wrong answer either. My personal opinion, it just seems like things run more crisply um, with Anthony Richardson in there. Emory Jones just seems to read things way too slow. He's making these throws too late. I think you're going to get the same type of outcome of playing in Emory Jones, you know, to where you could be a, 
you know, four loss, something, something type of team to where he's just not going to make enough of those plays to get you over those humps in some of these games. Or would you rather have the same, possibly have the same outcome with a guy like Anthony Richardson that you continue to raise his ceiling or even raise the floor up to it as well to where he can learn more of the offense. The best way to learn things more of the playbook and get more of those, you know, types of game reps is to get them in the game. Right. So I think that I think that it's very similar to where you could have the same outcome in a season, but you're working more towards the future instead of kind of spinning your tires on a guy that you're going to, you know, lose some games, but just not you're not preparing for the future. So I think it's time to start transitioning more to him, not only to get him more comfortable in the offense to teach him more, but I just think that things just seem to run smooth, more smoothly with him in there. Two things I want to I want to get to, you know, I just listened to that because they, they stood out to me. You mentioned confidence. I said Sunday on the podcast that I think Dan Mullen is almost playing a game of confidence roulette. And what I mean by that is you're trying to manage the confidence of not just Anthony Richardson, but also Emory Jones. And the, the question is, I guess, and it seems from the way Dan Mullen's handled it so far, is that Dan Mullen very much, it seems like, thinks he's going to need both quarterbacks this season throughout the season. Whether or not that's because he's worried that Anthony Richardson's playing style, he could get banged up. We've already seen that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> Or he just feels like they need Emory Jones's veteran leadership in the locker room, whatever it is. It feels like to me, one of the reasons Dan Mullen hasn't made a more meaningful shift to Anthony Richardson yet is that he doesn't want to destroy Emory Jones's confidence. And I think I talked about it, you know, and we joked about it uh, via text during the game Saturday. You know, I, I had written a bunch at halftime about how this was a perfect scenario for Dan Mullen with Emory Jones suddenly playing a lot better, riding a confidence high. You could go into Alabama with both quarterbacks very confident. All of a sudden, he comes out and struggles with those same issues in the second half, and it's like, now if you're Dan Mullen, you don't want to pull him because then you could ruin Emory's confidence. Uh, it, should that be a fact? Should Emory's confidence be as much of a factor? Because I think everybody understands the confidence angle with Anthony Richardson, right, in this Alabama game. You don't want to throw him in. All of a sudden, he's seeing you know monsters coming at him on the pass rush, doesn't know what to do. And all of a sudden it's like he's shell-shocked and not the same guy as he was in those first two weeks. Everybody gets that angle. I guess the angle I'm asking about is should Florida even worry about Emory Jones's confidence at this point? Is, is that a consideration that should be made? I think so. Cause I think if you're going to plan on playing these kind of guys, you know, an injury, you know, pull a hamstring or something like that. You know, if, if he's going to, tr- you know, truly wants to try to f- incorporate a two quarterback system, I think you have to, because if you're going to use Emory Jones at some point, if you're going to continue to point him as the starter, I think you're going to have to keep that in mind because it does seem like Dan Mullen is keeping his focus in mind on that. If I had to guess, Blake, I think what we're going to see on Saturday is something like three quarters Emory Jones, one quarter Anthony Richardson. I don't think it'll end up being a 50 50. I don't think Anthony Richardson really takes over. And I think that's going to be part of the reason. I think it's going to be both attempting to, you know, somewhat limit Anthony Richardson's <clears throat> exposure to a situation that could potentially set him back, while also kind of getting Emory through to a point where um, hopefully his confidence isn't too shaken after this Alabama game. But, you know, if things play out like they did the first two weeks and Florida goes into this Alabama game and nothing really materially changes. I think it's clear at that point that you can make a shift that even Emory can understand. Hey, you know, this other guy's playing a little bit better. We're going to shift to him. We're still going to need you. So stay locked in. Uh, But I think that's kind of how you handle it. If you're Florida. Um, One thing I will point out because we, you know, we didn't do our, our, we didn't shoot yesterday uh, right after I review the film. I, I do think Emory Jones was, was significantly improved in week two. And um, I wrote about this on Swamp 24-7, so if you've already read it, this is going to be a repeat of kind of what I said there for our VIP subscribers. But 
I think what happened Saturday was Emory Jones got a lot better, got a lot more comfortable. The problem is the gravity of his mistakes, the impact that his mistakes have, are having an outsized uh, weighting relative to the amount that he's making, right? So in game one, he made a ton of mistakes, I thought. This, this week against USF, I thought he made a lot fewer mistakes. And you can look at that first half. After the two errant throws on the first drive, he was basically perfect. I mean, the only incompletion he had was that deep corner route to Justin Shorter by the end zone. That Shorter just dropped. So there were far fewer mistakes from Emory Jones. And if you're looking for reasons for positivity to, to maybe not end in the, the Emory Jones experiment yet, it's that he did show a lot of improvement in week two. The problem is the mistakes were still absolutely brutal killer mistakes, right? And I, and that's where you go back to that weighing Richardson versus Emory Jones is if Emory Jones is going to make these vital mistakes, you know, that line between where you should shift over to Anthony Richardson, in my opinion, moves up and it becomes, you know, a much quicker trigger, you know, in pulling the plug on Emory Jones. But Blake, uh, I'm looking down at the clock. We've already gone 30 minutes. We're going to have another episode on Thursday. What we're going to do on Thursday, it's a huge recruiting weekend, right? We don't always talk a ton of recruiting on the podcast because we prefer to save most of that for our VIP subscribers on Swamp 24-7. But we're going to spend the entire first half of the podcast on Thursday talking about how big this recruiting weekend is for Florida. And then in the second half of the podcast, Blake, I think we'll dive more into X's and O's. I'm sure quarterbacks will come back again. But, I mean, unless you have any closing thoughts on kind of what we talked about today, I really just wanted to use today's episode to kind of set the stage for what this game means for the program and potentially the trajectory going forward. Nothing on my end. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up there, guys. We appreciate you tuning in. If you like this podcast, be sure to hit like if you're watching on YouTube. It helps us spread reach to the rest of our viewers, potential viewers. Uh, Hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. You'll get instant notifications whenever we upload a new podcast or a quick hit from me talking about any kind of breaking news that happens. And if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Player FM, wherever else we are on the podcast world, be sure to leave us a favorable review. That'll do it for us today, guys, on the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.